The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. We have a few little gifts just to honor a couple of our fathers that are here today. So the first one is for the newest father. So if you are a father with a baby under two years old, would you please stand? If you're a father that's here and you have a baby under two years old. Okay, and then I think Jake's back there somewhere too. So that'd be three. He's in there, okay. Um, how old is your baby? Nine months old. Is this your first one? Yo, yes, you're a good one. Way back in the back. How, how many months? Three months. Is this your first one? You're the winner. I think you're the winner. So we have two gifts for you. We have a VeggieTales Noah's Ark, along with a, a, a DVD you can play, I mean a, a music that you can play, and some earplugs, okay? <laughs> so thank you very much and congratulations. Now I want to know who's been the far, a father the longest. And to make it easy on you, just think, if you're a father, think how old your oldest child is. How old is your oldest child? And that'll tell how long you've been a father. So do we have anybody here who's been a father for 50 years? Is there anybody that's been a father for 50 years? Jack down here, anybody else? Way back in the back? Uh, right here? Uh, how about 55 years? Tell you what, it'd make it easier if y'all would stand up. If you've been, if you have 55, okay, 55, how about 60? 60 years? Are we down to one yet? 65 years? So you have had, you've been a dad for 65 years right here? Ow. You, no. Well, I'm completely lost now because I don't know how. But the gentleman in the back, would you please stand up again? Yeah, yeah. How long have you been a dad? 60 years. Well, congratulations to you. We have for you a little encouraging book called The Scriptural Promises for Men. So we hope you enjoy that. Let's give him a round of applause for being a dad. I was going to recognize the father who had the most children, but I couldn't, and I was trying to find what kind of gift do you give, but I couldn't find an empty wallet at Walmart. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm going to skip that category, and we're going to skip to grandfathers. If you're a grandfather, and you have more than four grandchildren, four or more grandchildren, four or more grandchildren, would you stand up? Four or more grandchildren, would you stand up? Oh, we have several. Okay, I'm going to go to five. Sit down when I pass you number five, six, seven, eight. Are we getting cold, warm here? Um, nine, ten, eleven. So we have 12, Ted has 12? One's on the way. Oh, we'll count. We'll... <laughs> For you, we have a children's pictorial Bible 
for all those times when you're going to be reading to all those grandchildren. So congratulations to you. I think it's wonderful that we celebrate mothers and fathers, and while it's become very commercial in our, um, in our society to do it, and I know it's all about selling cards and getting gifts, but we all know that's really not what it's about. Um, God made us, uh, and our mothers and fathers are, are essential to having our children, raising children to glorify and honor Him. And I think it's appropriate that we recognize them. The risk for either one of those days is that we forget people who don't have children. And um, we certainly are not intending in any way to um, not honor them. And when I started thinking about fathers, who is the most important father for us here today? There may not be a most important father humanly. It's going to be God, and that's who we're going to talk about. But um, I think it's the, the men who have been spiritual fathers to the church and in the church. So. I'm going to ask, this is not about being a, a father, it's about being a Christian man. If you've been a Christian, if you're a man, and you've been a Christian for 50 years or more, would you please stand? If you're a man and you've been a Christian for 50 years or more, any man that's been a Christian for 50 years, what an honor we are to have you in this congregation and be, be the spiritual fathers of this congregation. Okay, I'm going to go up again because i got a gift, so don't sit down yet. So well, I, want, I need to know who's the longest. So 55 years, 60 years, been a Christian for 60 years, 65 years, 70 years. Ooh, Brother Lorenza, how long have you been a Christian? Ah. <laughs> A long time. He's been a Christian for a long time, and I do have a gift for him then. This is a manly toolkit, first of all. And I want to read the scripture up here. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I think that describes all of those men that stood up that have been the fathers, spiritual fathers of this congregation and Christians everywhere for a long time. The little toolkit has a lot of neat little tools in it. It has a pair of pliers because sometimes you have to hold on tight to the faith. And we see that. Those of us who are younger see that, that grip on the faith. Has a hammer. Sometimes you have to beat people on the head with a hammer. Uh, but sometimes you need to just build up your brothers and sisters. It has a tape measure in there to make sure that we're all measuring up the best we can to what God wants us to be. Forgiving us when we fail, but encouraging us to be better. And it's got one of those little multi-bit screwdrivers with all the different little bits you put in the end. And that reminds us of your flexibility, that you've always been willing to do whatever it takes for your Christian brothers and sisters to serve them uh, anytime. So, Lorenza and all the gentlemen that stood up, I want to thank you so much for your service to this uh, congregation. Let's give them a round of applause.
and to my Carol Merrill, who helped, uh, who helped distribute the gifts. Thank you for very much. Well, if you look in the Bible, the father is actually used, the term father is used quite a bit, and there's, a lot of, there's quite a few different words that are used in it. And it can basically refer to a biological father. That's the most common uh, use of it. But also, anybody who created anything, and even we use that today, the father of electricity, the father of the telephone, the father of the car, whatever it may be, we still use the word in those same ways. It could be any male ancestor. So in the Bible, a lot of times it'll talk about our, my fathers, and it's talking about all of those people who came before them. But it's also used to just respect even somebody who's not a relative, but somebody who's respected um, is referred to a father, especially in the Old Testament, it would be used to refer to a king or a ruler or somebody that was in authority. Jesus changed this a lot. The God himself is only referred to as a father in the Old Testament 15 times. And there's a lot of analogies about characteristics of father that are attributed to God, but he's only actually called father 15 times. Jesus, on the other hand, called God Father 165 times. 165 times. And the, um, in the other books of the New Testament, God is referred to Father 80 times. What changed? What changed between the Old Testament and the New Testament? And why all of a sudden is Jesus calling God Father, the God of the universe, the creator of everything? Also, a lot of those times, he's referring to his Father. And we understand that, Jesus' Father. But he also refers to him as our Father, our Father. And so we're going to look at that a little bit more. Before I go on, one of the most difficult things about talking about any of our parents is that uh, any term parent, father or mother, is that for some of us, our experiences were not so good. Some of you had this kind of father, does anybody recognize who this father is? My favorite TV show growing up, Leave It to Beaver. This was Leave It to Beaver. This was Mr. Cleaver. And he was just a great dad. He was the perfect dad. There's others on TV. And so some of you had that experience. Dads who paid you a lot of attention, who were around a lot, who showed you a lot of affection, who were always there to help you, who provided for you, who took care of you, who loved you. And if you had that kind of father, you are truly blessed. Some of you sort of had a so-so father. They, were, they provided for you. They, didn't, you know, they weren't mean to you or your family, your mom. But maybe they weren't always around. Maybe they, maybe they didn't show you a lot of affection. I had a grandfather that I don't think I ever saw show any affection to anybody. I don't think he ever hugged anybody. Um, I know I never heard him say, you know, I love you or I like you or frankly, we didn't talk with him very much because we were a little afraid of him. Um, but he was not a bad father. He provided for his family during a very difficult time during the depression years. But, you know, just not, not on TV, not a TV father. Some of you had Archie Bunker or worse, right? And, and I put Archie up here just to add some humor to it. But some of you, it's no laughing matter, your father um, maybe the way he treated you or your family. Uh, maybe he abandoned you. Some of you may not even know your father, your biological father. And so the difficulty I have in referring to God as father is that if we 
if we look at that, if we define that in terms of our own father, it can be wrong. It can, so what does Jesus mean? What does Jesus mean? What is he trying to convey to us when he refers to God the Father? Also, we recognize that no father, even the, the, the ones that we say are great, are perfect. None of them are perfect. All fathers have flaws. I also want to look in the Bible at some examples of fathers. Um, and there are, there are a few, and you may think of some others. This was one that I was not really familiar with. I had to look it up. This was a bad father. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. He was king of Judah. Um, and he, he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was whatever. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry host and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry host. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced div divination, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritualists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. Not a too good of a dad. Not too good of a dad. So even in the Bible, we have stories of fathers that have struggled. Can you think of a good father in the Bible? What's a, who's a good father in the Bible? Jack, who's a good father? Joseph? Job? Joseph. Joseph? Anybody else? I came up with Job. I came up with Job, and I want to read a, read a little bit about Job. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Job was concerned about the spiritual well-being of his children and did something about it. Um, did what he thought he needed to do, offered a sacrifice. Not even sure it appears from the scripture exactly what they did, but just in case, I want to make sure that... I think that's a pretty good father who's looking after the spiritual welfare of the children. I want to tell you one of my own stories. When my um, two boys were about five and two, I think they were about that age, uh, my best friend and I, who he also had two sons uh, about the same age, a little bit older, we had the bright idea of taking our four boys to the air show in Houston at the Ellington, the old Ellington Airfield. Uh, now this is a really cool show, lots of airplanes, um, they had the Blue Angels there that fly over in formation. They had all kind of vintage aircraft, many that you could actually get in and see what it was like to be in those planes. They dropped bombs, these fake bombs out in the field, and they would blow up, etc. Helicopters, all kind of neat things. And also like 50,000 people. 
So we get there with our four small children. Uh, I think I was actually carrying John in one of those backpack deals you put on your back, and Carl was running around. Um, but we were having a great time. It was a beautiful day. We were looking at the airplanes. The kids were actually having a great time. We were very proud of ourselves as fathers that we had taken these children from their mothers, and they were still alive, and they were okay. So we were watching a display. They had these planes fly by the airfield, and everybody's watching them. And I turned around, and Carl was gone. My five-year-old was gone. I panicked. I absolutely panicked. And I grabbed David, and I said, Carl is gone. We knew that there were, first of all, so we looked around the crowd, but everybody was pressed up against each other looking at these planes flying in front of us. So it was just hard to push your way through, and he was a little bitty. Um, so we looked everywhere. Then it just clicked to me, we need to go to the exits, because if somebody has grabbed him, I don't want them getting out of this place. So they only had two main entrances and exits, so David and his kids headed to one, and I headed to the other. And I remember walking to the entrance of that, of that festival just um, panicking. I was panicking, where is my son? And what will my wife do to me when she finds out? But more importantly, where is my son? And as I was getting close to the gate, pretty sure I wasn't going to see him there, but at least feeling a little more comfortable that I'd be able to tell somebody, a police officer or some security, and that I would be watching to make sure he couldn't get out of there. So at least eventually... Then I remembered when we first walked into the place, there was this huge airplane, huge airplane, right as you came in. And you could see it from the, anywhere you were in this whole um, complex, you could see this big airplane. And we had told the kids, if you get lost or you get separated, you go sit by that big airplane and we'll come find you. So I headed for the big airplane and it was crowded. There were people trying to get on it and, and they were all around it. And I turned around the corner and there was Carl sitting up against the little fence by that big airplane. I was so mad at him, I picked him up and hugged him and kissed him and told him how glad I was that I found him. Um, that's what a father does, loves their children, and will do anything, anything to find him. My wife never let me leave the house with the kids again. Jesus shares a similar story in, Saint, in the Luke that you're all familiar with. We call it the prodigal son or the prodigal sons or the story of the running dad. It has many, many titles. But please, let's listen as I read this. And I want to really focus on the father in this. So as you know, the, the younger son was arrogant, decided to take his share of the inheritance, went out and blew it on who he thought were friends, ended up broke, feeding pigs, and decided, I'm going to come home. The son apparently really did come to a conclusion of repentance. So he was coming home, not expecting to be accepted back, just, to be, just wanting to be fed and have a place to live. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and had compassion on his son. So the father ran to him and hugged and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against God and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Hurry, bring the best clothes and put them on him. Also put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get our fat calf and kill it so we can have a feast and celebrate. My son was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Several things strike me about this story. First of all, the father is God, and we are that son. 
We are that son that because of our sin have fallen away from God. He was watching. God was watching. I'm not so sure I'd be watching if a son had, had insulted me the way this young son had, but God was watching and saw the son before the son even, before the son even saw him. Then he had compassion. I would have been a little angry, I think. I may have been thinking about what punishment I would, or how I was gonna, what I was going to say. God had passion on him. Then the father ran. And that wasn't very politically correct in those days for the head of a big household with a big long robe and sandals to go running. He ran. He didn't care what people thought. He didn't care what the customs of the day were. He ran to get his son. What kind of message do you think that sent to the son? I'm not so sure. He may have thought, Dad's coming with a switch, <laughs> and I'm running. But Dad was running towards him. What did Dad do when he got there? He hugged and kissed him. He hugged and kissed him. Dads, if you haven't hugged and kissed your kids in a little while, no matter how old they are, I encourage you to do that. Maybe not the kissing part, but the hugging part, anyhow. We need to show our kids how much we love them and that we have affection for them. The father was ecstatic. By his example, he was ecstatic to have his son back. He would have done anything to get his son back and was so happy when he did. Sometimes we are far away from God because of own, our own decisions. Decisions we've made, bad decisions that separate us from God. Sometimes it seems like it's just that we live in a fallen world. Bad things happen to us. And that can put a wedge between us and God, especially if we blame him for that. No matter what the reason, God is looking for you. He is waiting for you to come home. Another story. Uh, my family goes to Mo Ranch. It's a, sort of a religious encampment my wife, near Kerrville. My wife's family has a reunion there every year. And all the family comes, all her family comes. We've been doing it for 25 years, I guess, 30 years. And uh, um, everybody but me really enjoys it. Uh, no, I like, I like it too. I like it too. They have a big swimming pool there. And for years, though, they had diving boards, two diving boards, a low dive and a high dive. My kids were never afraid of the water. From the time they were, as soon as they could walk, if we went to a place with a pool, they would just head for the water and jump in. They just, they weren't afraid of it. So we had these little inflatable things we'd put on their arms so that they could jump in and then they'd sort of float on top of the water until they learned. They were not afraid of the water. However, that diving board at Mo Ranch was pretty tall. And I remember vividly uh, our, my kids standing on, they're so brave. All the kids are getting up on the diving board and they walk out to the end. Then you get to the end, and eh, I didn't realize it was this high. Um, but they don't want to be embarrassed to walk back. So I'm in the water, at the bottom, you know, treading water, trying not to have a heart attack. And what am I saying? Jump. Jump. I'm here. I'll catch you. I'll catch you. And eventually, they, they squirm a little bit, but eventually they jump. And you catch them, you hope you catch them, you catch them, and their little head comes back from water, and what do they do? You put them on the side, they run back and get on the board again, now they want to do it a hundred times. Don't worry, jump, I'll catch you. Let me read from John. Do not let your hearts be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me there, that you may, be, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you, know, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. God is swimming in the water. He's just saying, jump. Trust me. I'm going to catch you. He's gone to prepare a better place for us. He's saved us from our sins. Um, some of you may have remembered, this is really going to age me. Do some of you remember the old TV commercial for Motel 6? Tom Bodette was the spokesman. Do you remember what the line he used to say is? We'll leave the light on. We'll leave the light on for you. Come to Motel 6. We'll leave the light on for you. I always turn the light off because it was usually pretty dirty at a Hotel 6. But Motel 6. But um, God's inviting us to his mansion. It's in a small house. He's got a lot of rooms in this place. And he's leaving the light on for us. He's up all night waiting for us to come home. He's preparing a place for you. For you. For you. For you. For you. Each of us has a place there. The only way to get to the Father, though, is through Jesus. That's the way that we get there. If you know Jesus, you know the Father. You know the true Father. In Galatians chapter 4, But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you, are all, since you are all His child, God has made you also an heir. Um, God has adopted us because of what Jesus did. We're adopted children with all the rights of children. Now this term, Abba, Father, is only used three times in the New Testament. Usually it's just the term Father. So why this Abba, Father? Jesus used it once when he was in the garden praying, and then there's this example in Galatians, and then there's one other example. Um, Abba was really was, came from Aramaic, but it was what children called their father, especially small children, but really all children. It was like us saying, hey, Dad, hey, Pop. It was a, it was a term not of disrespect, but of relationship. Um, and that's what... What's what God is called? Abba, Father. As children of God, we are beneficiaries of everything that He has. All the good things that He has in this life and in the life to come. End our time together this morning. I'd like for you to all stand if it's convenient for you. When the apostles asked Jesus, how should we pray? What are we supposed to say? Jesus led them in this prayer, and I don't think it's accidental that he starts it by saying, Our Father. Not His Father, my Father, 
our Father. So let's read this together, please. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father God, thank you so much for being our Father, for um, pursuing us, for loving us, for blessing us. Thank you for sacrificing Jesus so that we could be adopted into your family with all of the gifts and blessings that we're entitled to as your children. We pray that we can honor you and serve you in this life, and we look forward to the mansion, to the room that you have prepared for us, where we'll be with you in all of your perfection and all your glory, and things will be the way you intended them to be. Thank you for letting us spend time together. Thank you for the fathers that are here. We pray that they will, um, number one, make sure that their children know you, that their children can see you living in them, and that even when we fail as fathers, that we'll ask for forgiveness and we'll just do better the next time. We pray for our children, uh, that in us they will see you, that they'll come to know you and call you Abba Father. Thank you for um, all your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.